Hello, Hyperfixation Nation. This is Get Your Fix, a podcast where we chat all things fandom, good, bad, and ugly with me, your host, Vaughn. Over here, we are not afraid to deep it and effuse earnestly about all the properties that resonate with us. Um, If this is your first time listening, thank you for joining me. And if you've been on this journey with me for a while, then welcome back. Um, You can read more about the Get Your Fix project and subscribe on all of your favorite platforms by visiting getyourfixpod.card.co, that's C-A-R-R-D. As always, I am available also on Instagram, um, so check it out, subscribe, do all that good stuff. Um, And thank you all so much for the love on last episode, talking about Mystic Messenger. I really feel like my Otome girlies showed up. Um, I appreciate you, and I had a lot of fun recording that episode, Um, and I actually just restarted started these route again for the like millionth time um just because I just can't get enough of him so uh thanks so much and uh, I hope you if you're out there and you restarted Mystic Messenger again too uh, I hope you're having a good time and I would love to see all of your favorite screen grabs as always I'm so excited for this week's episode because I am actually joined by a new friend named August who I connected with from a local group that we're both in. And so I am really excited for, I think this is my third guest. So thanks for coming to the podcast, August. I am super excited to be here. Thank you so much for like putting out this call for people to come and just blab about their favorite franchises. If I can find an excuse to do that, it's always a good time for me. <laughs> Maybe not for other people, but for me it is. No, honestly, that is literally the point of the podcast. I love that. That is the whole reason I started it because I also feel that way. I love to gush about things that I love and I want to create a space for other people to do that. So I I am going to have a good time, certainly. So thank you for being here. So uh, like August was saying, whenever I was like kind of putting out feelers for this podcast to folks locally, I was trying to like expand the properties that I talk about on this show to ones that go beyond the the ones that I just engage with personally. Like, obviously, I love to talk about all of my fandoms like endlessly. I uh, am very, very like excited and willing to talk about the things that I like but it's also important to me that get your fix as a platform for my community and for like voices that don't get heard that often in fandom spaces or like media analysis I can't help it that's just like the type of person that I am um with my background as you all know like in sociology and organizing and things like that um so I'm gonna bring that lens to everything that I do and um when I put out the call August reached out about doing a Star Trek episode and I was so excited because it's such an iconic franchise. There's so much like reach and influence. There's a lot of like modern sci-fi I think that has like been heavily inspired by Star Trek. It's one of those properties that I feel like everyone has at least one point of reference to. So to me, it's always really special to hear someone who's really connected with a property like that to talk about it. Because like with these big franchises, like anyone can kind of talk about it, but people who are really fans of it really bring a new perspective. So I would love, August, if you could just give us like a high level overview of Star Trek and then also like kind of softball us to talking about Worf since that's the character that we're going to be exploring together. Okay, awesome. So that is a huge question. Uh, Tell me, what is Star Trek? Um, (laughs) So Star Trek uh, has a 50 and over 50 year history of being a franchise. And as you know, if you're familiar, um, it started in the 1960s um, as campy kind of like daytime show um, that would run, there would be reruns of it. And it got, you know, a fandom around it, right? Like even in the 60s, the key thing about Star Trek is that it 
promotes diversity and there are moral messages in a lot of the stories. And it's about a hopeful, progressive view for the future, not necessarily a utopian future, but more so a protopian future, which is how do we make things better? Even if there are problems that like arise within the different like Trek series, like for example, in Deep Space Nine and like them some of the ethical questions that are kind of asked in that series, you know, how can we be better as a society? And it's about infinite diversity and infinite combinations is like an integral message to the show. So like you have your new Star Trek as like in like Discovery, you know, having a lot of explicit queer representation on screen. And that's a discussion for another day, you know, uh, (laughs) what you think of like, Ah, what do you think of like discovery because like discovery can be very polarizing for people who may be more disingenuous about why they dislike it mm-hmm. but there are people who do have valid criticisms of the show and i kind of fall into that second camp there you know like i'm glad that there's a lot of diversity with the discovery but i also have issues with some of like the technical things in the show like the lighting or the pacing of the show. But my rant about Discovery is, again, (laughs) something for another day. So Star Trek, in essence, is about a hopeful, protopian view of the future, and learning to coexist and respect all sentient life in the galaxy, and forge those relationships, being, you know, stronger together as a society. That is amazing. I actually did not know that at all because like I haven't spent a lot of time with the franchise. So I had no idea that it was that kind of, I guess, like moralistic in a way. Like I have only seen the like funny clips of like, um, oh my gosh, who's the main Captain Kirk with like old school Captain Kirk? Um, Like I haven't really even spent that much time with it. So I didn't realize that it was like had such a strong message. So it sounds like it was Mm -hmm. kind of maybe a little bit ahead of its time or also maybe something to do with like being connected. You said it started in the sixties, right? Right. And so it was actually progressive for the time, you know? So the crew, right. The bridge, you know, you had your captain Kirk, but you had people like Uhara who was Mm -hmm. like the first black woman on the show. And she is the communications officer. And, you know, a lot of Trekkies of color, like especially black Trekkies, do love Ohara uh, because mm-hmm. the, it means like, wow, I can see myself in the future. You know, we belong in the future, you know, and there's Sulu right. played by openly gay actor George Sakai, who um, is oh, right. American. he is Asian American. He is Japanese American. And so and in the case of George Sakai, he his family was interned by mm-hmm. the American government in the 40s. He was five. Yeah. Uh, he was five years old when he was placed in an internment camp. And so um, the show happened about like 20-ish years after those events. And people were still kind of, you know, grappling with those effects. It was still kind of fresh in their minds in like a similar way 9-11 is still in the American psyche. But yeah, to have, you know, an Asian American man on this TV show with a Black woman and a woman first officer, number one, you know, was big at that time. Some of the most uh, well-known episodes, like Balance of Terror, like that one is about Spock facing racism because he is a Vulcan or misplaced racism more so. 
Balance of Terror is actually one of my favorite episodes of the original series. I really like that one. And Spock himself is technically a biracial character, as he is half Vulcan, half a human. So throughout the series, Spock deals with his Vulcan and human identities. And those identities are explored in, like, not just the original series, but, like, in Strange New World. Like, that's a very new you know, a modern Star Trek show, and it takes place maybe like five, like between like 10-ish years before the events with Captain Kirk at the helm. So hmm. we see Captain Pike and his crew and Spock exploring like what it means to be a human, what it means to be a Vulcan, you know, how he, you know, reconciles those identities too. I feel like it coincides with a lot of the social justice movements that were happening in the 1960s anyway. Like um, you mentioned about uh, Japanese internment camps, which like affects communities that we are in or adjacent to as like Asian Americans. And I think it really brings into perspective, like how recent those things are in our history. And what was happening in the 60s was like the Vietnam War, right? Like there's a lot of Asian American history that's like steeped in the 60s. So um, we could probably talk about that like the whole episode, but I would love if you could tell us a little bit about Worf to like get us into what the conversation that we're going to have today, because I'm really excited about this topic that you pitched was, which was talking about Worf as an allegory for transracial adoptee narratives, which um, I don't think, at least I have never even seen a media analysis exploring any of those dimensions of Worf. So I would love like, yeah, who is Worf and what kind of connects you to him, I guess. First, I think it'd be helpful to go over some quick definitions, like what is a transracial adoptee? So the word transracial here sometimes trips people up. Um, but transracial in this context refers to the a type of adoption. So it describes somebody who is adopted into a family of a different race than their own. And so in the story, Worf, who we get to meet in Star Trek The Next Generation, the one with John Luke Picard as captain, is a Klingon. So we meet Worf and he is a Klingon. And Klingons are, you know, one of the most well-known Star Trek species. We see them in the original series and the appearance of the original series Klingons are a little, um, how do we say, <laughs> problematic because at the time the Klingons were a stand-in for the Soviet Union and uh, Maoist China because of mm. the Cold War. They were an allegory for the Cold War. And so appearance-wise, the Klingons were very Asiatic looking. Um, and yes, they were played by white people. Um, mm -hmm. And the Klingons are also a very like a warrior's race. They're kind of like the orcs. And being a warrior and being honorable is like integral to like Klingon culture still, you know, even today. That's kind of iconic. You know, when you think of a Klingon, they're honorable, they're warriors. You know, over the years, like, we do get to see fleshed out Klingon characters, especially, like, in shows like Deep Space Nine. You might hear me mention Deep Space Nine a few times. I love Deep Space Nine. It's unique compared to, like, some of the other Star Trek uh, series put out there. It, but it, again, it, it does really well with certain ethical issues and character development. But is it a yes, TV show? Yes, it's a okay, Star cool. Trek series, yeah, called Deep awesome. Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And it's a really great show. 
but again with the Klingons so they are kind of like and I know orcs in you know fantasy have you know their kind of tie to like orientalism right in in a way that is like what the Klingons were originally used as like in the first episode that we see the Klingons I think he was like a producer or one of the guys his name was Gene Kuhn and he wrote in the script that the Klingons were like supposed to be hard-faced or like cold-faced and oriental and that's kind of how they look yeah I feel like it was much more I mean even my family members who are literally Asian will still use the term oriental who are like of that older generation who were um in their young adulthood in the 60s and 70s like it's really wild how commonplace language like that was and there's tons of podcasts out there that talk about the appropriation of Asian identity in media like that happens all the time Uh right like we we know that we were not represented well and like still really aren't until, I mean, it's getting a lot better now, but I feel like it's just now starting to get better. Like in re- like in the last like five years almost. Mm-hmm. So back to Worf. So Worf is a Klingon, but he is different from the other Klingons. So in Star Trek, there's a trope of having a character be like the outsider's perspective of like human culture. In TOS, it was Spock. In TNG, the next generation, you could argue it could be Data the Android. And in a way, Worf also could be applied to this trope as well, but with a twist. So not only is he an outsider to humanness, because he's not a human, he is an alien, he is also an outsider to his own culture. Because Worf was raised by humans. He was raised in a human colony uh, by a human couple called the Roshankos. And when he was young, his Klingon parents were killed at an outpost due to a Romulan attack. And so this human couple took him in and raised him as their own. And so through the series, we see Worf navigate what it means to be a Klingon and what it means to be a human in a sense too and how that cultural experience affects his character so essentially Worf is a type of transracial adoptee like I mentioned at the beginning he is Mm -hmm. more so trans species but he is very clear and I wouldn't even call it allegory but he is a very clear I guess representation of somebody who has that experience and I will say there is no one you know, right experience to be a transracial adoptee or one right adoption experience. And that's the thing I think people get wrong about, like, what it means to be an adoptee and, like, adoption itself. Um, And I can talk more about that later. But, you know, I am also a transracial adoptee of sort. I am Asian American and my, the family who raised me, my adoptive parents are white. And like Worf, I did not grow up around many other Klingons, you know? So I know what it's like to be the only Klingon in Starfleet. Because at that point, when we see Worf, he is the only Klingon in Starfleet. And Klingons Mm -hmm. don't usually join Starfleet. Because Klingons technically are not a part of the Federation. They are allies of the Federation. Well, oh, they interesting. come to be, yeah, they come to be allies through TNG stuff, that's, you know. That's a pretty heavy-handed political metaphor, I feel like. 
Yeah, I mean, Star Trek is known for their heavy-handed metaphors. Um, they literally yeah, have I love in that. TOS. Yeah, in TOS, they have like an episode called um, "Let This Be Your Last Battlefield," and it's about two people, like people, like they go on a planet, and it's people who have a white side of the face and a black side of the face, and oh, like some of them have like the white side of the face on their right side, some of them have the white side of the face on their left side, and yes, it's an allegory for racism, but right. um, yeah, so it's very thing obvious, like. TOS especially was kind of known for that. Um, two varying degrees of success, but that is kind of like, oh, well, when we think of Star Trek, we think of the progressive political messaging in it. And again, it was a progressive for the time, right? In the time that it was made um, in the mm-hmm. 60s. But with Worf, he is a character that is you know, important to me because I am a Trekkie. As somebody who loves Star Trek, it's nice to see an experience that's not really represented on screen. And yes, it is through like an alien kind of metaphor, I guess you could call it. And like the Cleons, even though they do have, you know, questionable history um, in creation are one of my favorite species in the series, you know, because over time the Cleons got more fleshed out as a species and they got more and they were not like, you know, oh, just an allegory in, anymore. You know, you get characters like Worf, Martok, Garon. And so they get more fleshed out, you know. Yeah, I feel like, um, like I was kind of mentioning earlier, it's hard to find a lot of overt representation for a lot of these intersectional identities that we often have, like as marginalized people. Like, um, and when we do find those direct representation, they're often like really tropey and bad. So that's part of what I love about talking about fandom is that you can find these like stories that represent you, even if they're not directly saying out loud, like, oh, like Worf is a transracial adoptee and this is for you. Like that's not always where you're going to find the message, but it, it can be just as impactful. Like I personally, like as like a trans guy, like I ha- I see trans masculinity in media all the time, even if it's not like overtly about that. And so that's, I think what's exciting about feeling connected to like franchises, especially ones as big as Star Trek that cover so many things. Like it's, it's helpful to kind of see yourself in those narratives. And I actually didn't know that history around uh, the Klingons. Like I didn't know there was that history of like, orientalism around their character development um but that's really interesting and a tie-in that um is really specific to the topic that we're talking about with Worf Mm -hmm. you know there's something for everybody in Star Trek for example a popular character like Data I mentioned he is a popular Mm -hmm. character for many neurodivergent people autistic people in particular and um and I love Data he's a wholesome character and um he's great And like, you know, I see parts of myself represented in him too. You know, I was talking with some Trekkies and one of them was like, oh, well, I see myself in like seven of nine. And like, I see myself in her, you know, as an autistic man. I just see myself in this character, you know? And like, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people, you know, in the Star Trek fandom do have a character that they could connect to, whether it's Jadzia Dax or Data, like, I've said or like Spock even and it's just those little things you know obviously not everything is perfect about Star Trek right and there are like valid criticisms of like the way like certain things are represented and like in the case of Worf him being a trans like him kind of 
having this transracial adaptee kind of journey, you know, as many transracial adaptees do, especially as they get older, because they are not exposed to elements of their culture, right? So in there is mm-hmm. an episode in TNG called Family. And in this episode, we get to meet Warp's parents, his human parents. And there is a scene where Warp's mother goes to like the bar on the ship and she talks to the bartender, Guinan. And Guinan asks about her son and like gonna be some spoilers here, but I mean, it's an old show, so. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think we have to worry about spoilers. It's all good. (laughs) Yeah, so basically Worf is already an outcast because he had this human upbringing. He is very human compared to other Cleons. And this is due to his upbringing, of course. But, you know, the fact that he's in Starfleet is an unusual thing for Cleons. Helena Roshanko is his adoptive mother, and... She's talking to Guinan, and this is after Worf has been considered dishonored by the other Klingons due to, so his family, like his Klingon blood, I guess, he was from like a noble family called the House of Moog. Um, and because of this attack, you know, um, the attack happened because there, somebody collaborated with the Romulans. And that blame was placed on Worf's family because his parents were dead. So it was just easy to be like, oh, it's the dead guy's fault, you know? And everybody just went with that. But in reality, it wasn't. It was someone else. So Worf, he gets outcasted again as somebody who is dishonored, which is considered, you know, a big deal on the Klingon homeworld to be dishonored. And so mm-hmm. essentially he is shunned by the other Klingons and his family is like his house is now looked, you know, it's not honorable. It's not considered an honorable house anymore. So he has that, I guess, double rejection from, you know, being an outsider, but also being rejected again because of something that he has no control over. Recently, I went to an adoptee conference. I saw somebody on a panel who was queer and then a transracial adoptee. And and this person was talking about finding their relatives, like doing a birth search. Mm -hmm. And they were saying that they were hesitant because they didn't know if they would be rejected for being queer. And Mm -hmm. it's like that extra layer of rejection, you know, like, oh, I am already an outsider in this space. But to alienate myself even more, you know, or to be alienated for something that I have no, that I had no control over, if we're using war, family ended up being, you know, innocent, and they were not collaborators with the Romulans, but he gets blamed for that, you know, or like, that shame falls on him. People think finding reunion or like adoption in a very surface level, like, oh, you should be happy. But adoption and the experience is very complex and nuanced. And for a character who was probably not written by any transracial adoptees at the time, that's just my guess. It's a pretty safe bet, I bet. Yeah, it's a pretty safe bet. But um, it's not, his portrayal isn't horrible. And like, Mm -hmm. obviously it's an, in like his own, own individual experience and not a universal thing but things like feeling out of place even among people who look 
like you. Like that is a very common experience of being a transracial adoptee. I was telling you earlier, like I love to go down to Chinatown sometimes and just walk around. And for the record, I am Chinese. You know, I did not grow up with a lot of Klingons, so to speak, Mm -hmm. around Mm -hmm. me. My parents were not Klingon. My school was not Klingon. There were a few other people, you know, who did look like me, but they were few and far between. I never like had that experience to just be around people. Wow, these people look like me and they exist. You know, it sounds silly, but it's like just little things like going into Chinatown and blending in with everyone else. And, oh, I was saying about uh, Worf's mom, Helena, or Helena. Uh, she was talking to Guinan and and Guinan was asking her, what was it like for, like, when Worf was, like, growing up? And she was like, and this, act- and this scene, actually, in my opinion, from my perspective, was actually really decently done. Because she says it was hard for him growing up. We knew that he did not have other Cleons around him. And she was like, I tried my best. You know, I learned how to make Cleon food because that's what he would eat, mm. you know? And like, that's to me, that shows like she was putting effort into, into knowing her son, you know? Yeah, because, and I think there's a like, lot of Klingon. conversations now around like, I feel like more and more narratives in in the US now are coming forward of like transracial adoptees sharing like the trauma of being raised by someone that doesn't share your culture and what it's like when people like do try to divorce you from your culture. And so I think, yeah, that sounds really progressive for the show to um, have her be that kind of transracial adoptive parents because we know now that not everybody is like that when they adopt kids outside of their own race. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And like, she was like, we knew that Worf would find his own identity. And like, and she let him explore that, like his Klingon identity and, and what it really means to be a Klingon. And so Worf, when we meet him in TNG, he's very, he's very stoic and very like, his Klingonness, I don't think is necessarily like manufactured, but it is his his idea of what it means to be a Klingon compared to mm-hmm. the uh, to like Klingons that we meet, and and his in a way idealized version of his own people that he doesn't really have a lot of experience interacting with, you know, or being around. Um, yeah. And for many transracial adoptees, it is that like, oh, you try so hard to be what they think it means to be an Asian person or a black person or whatever racial identity they have, right? Or whatever culture they're from or ethnic group. Like I was talking to a mutual who is also a Chinese adoptee and she was like, well, I tried hard to be like Asian or what people expected me to be Asian and like I tried to have an Asian friend group and learn an Asian language and have an Asian boyfriend and you know that kind of stuff because I didn't feel Asian enough so in a way Worf sometimes leans very hard into his ideas of being a Klingon and Mm -hmm. to the detriment of like you know his relationships in the people around him an example of this is like when we see were reintroduced in the series Star Trek Deep Space Nine. We see this in his relationship with Jedzia. And 
Jadzia is a popular um, character from Deep Space Nine. She's awesome. Um, she's a trail, which me and she has spots. And yes, they do go all the way down. But <laughs> yeah, and it's <laughs> that is a running joke. Oh, do the spots go all the way down? Like, um, right. Yeah. So he has this relationship with Jadzia, but like some of the things he does, you know, are very like rigid, but like, he wants to be a Cleon. What feels really interesting to me about this too is that I think we talk about this a lot in Asian American spaces where we feel like perpetual foreigners all the time anyway. Like for me, for example, like I was born in the US. Um, I'm biracial, like I'm only partially Asian. And like I sometimes have felt in community with other Filipino people like, wow, like I am trying to be Filipino in a way that makes sense to you and to me. And then like, there's all these great stories about people going to like their countries of origin and not being accepted. I talked about this a little bit in my K-pop episode, but like some K-pop idols that are Korean, but born in the States are treated as foreigners in the country where their parents are from. And then you have that like added layer of being adopted. And then you don't have like that direct familial access to your culture, which like kind of increases that feeling of perpetual foreignness kind of wherever you go, I would imagine. Mm -hmm. And it's just, like, to see Worf as, you know, a character, and the more we get to, like, know about him and learn about him as a person, we get to see, like, like, him kind of, you know, deal with the fallout of being dishonored, and the experiences of people who are displaced from their own culture, whether it be by their own circumstances or by external circumstances such as war or conflict in Warp's case. And that is true for, you know, some older adoptees. Like, well, not just older adoptees, in like places of conflict, um, there are people who are willing to exploit vulnerable people, like into mm -hmm. giving up their children or like, in in like the Korean and Vietnamese war, there were like people who like, you know, had GI babies, like, from, like, American soldiers, and mm -hmm. those children were often, like, mixed race, and so there was a stigma there. And Yeah, there's a lot of people of... like that in my community, too. Like, in the Filipino community, there's a lot of those GI babies as well, with, like, American colonization in the Philippines. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but, like, also just, like, because of the after effects of, like, the Korean War, you know, mm -hmm. um, and Korea was actually a known, like, South Korea, one of their most popular exports at one time, if not their most popular export, was people. Mm, like was through the people. adoption process? Yes. Like mm. babies, people, you know, not rice or kimchi or, but people. It was people. Yeah, I think um, Vietnam and, and China as well have like a, a long history of adopting out children to uh, people, especially in the U.S., and that can go within, like, the way, the culture of how, in our culture, how we see, like, you know, adoption and specifically transracial adoption. Um, mm -hmm. There's often, like, saviorism within this. And I don't right. really see a whole lot of saviorism within work circumstance. You know, again, this is more of a progressive future. But, you know, there's a little hints of there, like, oh, well, Worf was, like, you know, these people, like... Like the way he describes it in one of the first episodes of this of season one of TNG, he is like, "Oh well, 
my parents, like, they did this, like, as an act of kindness or, like, something, like, along those lines, you know? And that's placing, like, more credit to his adoptive parents, you know? And I'm not saying his adoptive parents were bad people or even had, like, a savior complex because, like I was saying, Worf's mother seemed very in tune or tried to be in tune with her son's needs growing up, you know? By like making blood pie for him, it's a Klingon food because transracial adoption, like I said, is a very you know complex and nuanced experience. Yeah, so I mean, what are some of the specific because we've talked a lot about what they do, what they have captured really well, but I know you also wanted to share what you kind of feel like some of the shortcomings are on this narrative. So, what are some of the things like you said, you're also someone as like a Trekkie that has like valid criticism? Um, and so I would love to kind of hear that side of it too, like where you kind of feel like they could have captured this a little bit better? Well, I think, one, they should have, you know, adoptees be involved in the script-making process, you know? Um, And that is true for a lot of adoption media pieces, you know? Adoptees are not in the writer's room. They're not, you know, on set. They're not, you know, on stage. And, like, while I don't think Worf's, um, you know, depiction is, like, awful or bad like because I do see parts of myself within that I think the narrative does dip into more of the oh the not necessarily happy adoptee narrative but more so just like oh well Worf is at the debt of his parents now they don't do that too much but through like interactions and stuff he just seems like he's like I guess what I would say like grateful for his parents and some adoptees do feel I'm not taking away, but a lot of adoptees have more complex feelings around this narrative of having to be grateful for being an adoptee, especially like a lot of transracial adoptees, you know, because being having being taken out of your own your community, you know, of origin. And yes, that it's a very specific experience, but it's also why should I be grateful for something that I have lost, you know? And and it's not necessarily an either-or thing either. You can, a lot of adoptees feel this and. That's an important narrative to keep in mind when you're talking about adoptees, the adoptee experience. It's this mm-hmm. and. Like, the the existence of multiple truths, you know? Yeah, and I think, like, there that's something that I feel like all marginalized people can kind of connect on in in that very fundamental way of like holding nuance right like I I talk about that a lot on the show about like I think it's really important when you're doing media analysis and talking about fandom like you have to be able to hold nuance and I feel like our especially online fandom spaces are so bad at that right like they're it's like uh if you have this opinion then you're um fundamentally evil and like we're gonna bully you off the internet but like holding nuance is so essential especially when you're talking about marginalized identity because none of us are like single issue people like we don't live single issue lives you know exactly that's really important you know to think about there is a trope within the Trek community uh, regarding Worf and his son. So Worf ends up having a son and his mm. son is Kling- mostly Klingon and like a quarter human. Um, he's like Klingon because his, the partner he had um, yeah, his son with was half Klingon, half human. And mm. so 
he has a son named Alexander. So the writers don't really do a great job with depicting Worf and Alexander's relationship. And so that kind of turned into, I guess, a meme. And so there is kind of a meme about uh, like how Worf is a bad father. And I think mm. it, it's, it's more than that he is a bad father. And this, you know, also have to, like, Michael Dorn is a Black actor. And I don't see Worf necessarily as a bad father in the sense of, oh, he's a deadbeat dad. He is a mm -hmm. father who is, who in, from my, like, at least from an adoptee's perspective, he's struggling how to raise his son as a Klingon because he is still learning to be a Klingon. And so I think Worf is projecting his, like, he wants his son to be a warrior, right? And because he never got to, that chance to be a warrior. So he is putting that on his son. And he's not necessarily a bad father for doing it. Obviously, you know, that's not really what his son wanted. He and, like, his Alexander and Worf should be able to have that discussion. Because when you consider how Worf was separated from the culture that he was born into, he doesn't really know how to raise a Klingon son. And so he fumbles the bag, right? Like, and and yeah. that makes sense. Like, how do I raise a son who will experience life as a Klingon? But I don't know how to prepare him for that. Like, part of the issue with, like, Worf, the relation with the Worf and Alexander storyline is that the writers kind of neglected it. So we just kind of forgot about Alexander. And so mm. like, which is where that kind of, so that's kind of like a writer's room fault too. I think I wish there was maybe a little bit more nuance in that depiction. You know, like maybe he's not depicting, like he's not just neglecting his son to neglect him. Maybe he's struggling with his identity himself and like, and he's putting that on his son. And so because he is a single father because his like the baby mom dies like she gets killed and so he like is a single father too and that's you know he's a single father he's a high-ranking starfleet officer so he just kind of like the they have him like just send his son down to earth to live with you know Worf's parents so yeah i think they could have done a lot better with the depiction of his son and like maybe like dug a little deeper with oh like how does he navigate this with you know and, and it's touched on like a little bit with through a conversation with Guinan I believe but it's still like a lot of people just read it as oh Worf is just a bad father like um but I think it's so much more than that yeah and I think again like talking about holding nuance like probably is true that he's a bad father but there are reasons for that right like it's not just that he's like a bad person and I think like having narratives that talk about intergenerational trauma are really important, especially for those of us, you know, who are cross-cultural, like multi-ethnic, you know, there's a great book that's called, uh, it didn't start with you and how we like all of our parents re-traumatize us with their own baggage. Right. Like that's just part of the gig, unfortunately. Yeah. But there is a scene in deep space time where Worf, up, up until a point in Deep Space Nine, Worf is kind of on his own in a Klingon sense, right? Like he, mm -hmm. he doesn't really have a lot of family. Like he doesn't have a lot of Klingon family. He has a Klingon brother, but his Klingon brother ends up going under like a 
genetic transformation. And so, mm. and like a memory wipe. And they also memory wipe his brother. And so his brother doesn't have to live with the baggage of like his family being dishonored. In this episode, mm-hmm. it's him and his brother. And then at the end, his brother ends up like doing this memory wipe and like transformation. His brother, you know, wakes up from the memory wipe and he's like, oh, are you my brother? And Worf responds, I do not have any family. You know, mm. he doesn't have a Klingon family. And you can feel his like isolation in that scene. Then at the end, like he just like walks off by himself, you know? Right. Um, and the camera like cuts out. A lot of adoption agencies are, you know, for profits and they want to make money and some of them are not always ethical or some of them are corrupt even. And so because of the supply and demand, you know, um, and obviously it's easier to exploit um, vulnerable people in vulnerable countries. Again, adoption is a nuanced experience, but it is true that there are very exploitative companies who do exploit, you know, new moms or moms in poverty or families in mm-hmm. poverty to give up their children or they get tricked you know they they children that children actually get kidnapped you know um yeah and that's not an uncommon experience for like many for trans not many but like but for transracial adoptees to learn about their adoption is that they were like essentially like kidnapped or just taken you know but they're it's also an episode where Worf does get to find Martok. And Martok is a Klingon. He is like, you know, a Klingon, like I think he's like a war veteran or whatever. He's like also like a captain. And he is from like, I guess what you would call like a working class family. And um, mm-hmm. but he he like is he worked his way up, you know, up in the ranks. So in that way he differs from Worf. He was not born into like nobility or honor, but he accepts Worf into his house. So Klingons like have houses, you know. And so this would be the house of Martok. And right. he and in this scene, it's in Deep Space Nine, he asks Worf to be in his house because he knows that Worf is essentially houseless. Right. And so he accepts him like as he is, you know, and like being a transracial adaki and in this experience. Worf is, you know, isolated from his community a lot of the time. This is true for many transracial adoptees. And, you know, there's that old saying, two east for the west, two west for the east. And like being like too, quote unquote, human for the Klingons and like for your own community. Yet now there's this person who is accepting you into their clan, into their house into his community so he can be around, like he can be with other Klingons and he yeah, can and like have have access to his culture of origin that's awesome yeah and we love Martok he's great <laughs> uh, yeah I actually got to meet the actor uh J.G. Hertzler at a convention earlier this year um oh my god that's which- amazing so they had this Star Trek convention in the city and it was a very small convention, but it was, but it had a lot of fan favorites people come, you know, and not mm-hmm. necessarily people like Picard or Kirk, but like there were like a lot of people from like Deep Space Nine 
like Bashir, uh, I'm just using the character names, but Bashir, Kira, Jizia, you know, so like those are like popular characters and Murtaugh was there and, but like his character just accepts Worf, you know, as a Klingon, you know, he doesn't really question, like he knows that Worf was not raised by Klingons and he knows Worf is different um, because he acts different than the other Klingons. He tries to act Klingon, but like he does it with like a human accent, I would say. Right. Um, I really like that and- um, characterization of it. Like, uh, I think that's a really good way to capture these experiences, like of like trying to do your culture, but with like the accent of a different one. Um, mm-hmm. I love that. I yeah. think that's a really good way to characterize it. Um but we're actually coming to the end of our episode. We're just almost out of time, but thank you so much. Like, I feel like I've learned so much about the franchise, even just like about this one character. And I have um, learned a lot about like transracial adoptees as well. Like I have had a lot of experiences with folks in that community and like done research and stuff, but it, it was nice to like hear directly from you who has that lived experience. And so as we're like coming to the end of our episode, is there anything that you want to like share or plug or anything or where people can find you after if you want um, any projects that you're working on that you want to talk about? Well, first of all, thank you for having me um, on your yeah. podcast. Um I really enjoyed talking to you um, and like, you know, talking about this character, um, you know, and how like the character is a character that I deeply resonate with, you know, as somebody who has that experience. And like, yeah, I know what it's like to like be that type of Klingon. Like there's something for everyone in Star Trek, I like to say, like, I like to think. And this is like mine. Like, Mm -hmm. this is like what I get out of it. I don't have a whole lot to plug, but I am part of a group for, you know, transracial adoptees. Um, and it's a new group that came out of the group that we were, you know, acquainted in. Um, mm-hmm. But it's called Q-Track. So Queer Transracial Adoptees of Philadelphia and surrounding areas. You can check out our Instagram um, it's at qtrap.philly or qtra.philly. And you can check out that Instagram account for announcements and events hosting because we're going to probably be planning an event coming up because we had a popular turnout for our pilot kind of or pre pilot. Uh, run mm-hmm. event it's me run by me and two other great amazing people and uh, we're excited to get this off the ground so if you are a queer identifying transracial adoptee in the philly area or surrounding areas feel free to reach out um on that instagram And I will, um, I'll include all those links in the description as always too, so that you all can find it really easily. But that is amazing. Well, thank you so much, August. I really enjoyed having you today. All right. So that is all for this episode, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. Come hang out with me on Instagram. As always, I'm at getyourfixpod on Instagram. That is where I hang out the most. Um, And let me know if you enjoy this exploration of such a well-known franchise through this like 
kind of more specific lens. I know that I did. I feel like I got a lot out of it and I hope that you do too. And if you liked this episode and you want to support the show, uh, you can leave me a review on whatever platform you're listening to this on right now. Turn on automatic downloads. Um, those two things really help a lot in helping get your fix get discovered. Um, and as always, if you want me to chat about a specific property that you're excited about or you have thoughts on one that I've already covered, you can send me an email at getyourfixpod at gmail.com. I love to read your messages um, and talk about the things that you want to talk about. Um, so I will catch you all in the next one to chat about our next hyperfixation. fixation.